politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, Minutemen, and Paul Revere's to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. We are back in the house on Monday, April 27th for another exciting week, another week that will hopefully turn the page on this anarcho-tyranny, this worst mixture of anarchy and tyranny from our state and federal governments with everything backwards. We ended last week on a pretty sour note, but I'm hoping as patriots step forward, as the protests begin to grow, as people begin to take risks and are willing to get arrested while the sex offenders are let out, by the way, that this will be the turning point. The best piece of news before I'm going uh, on air today is that Trump announced he is finally going to cancel his stupid daily press conference, The Tony and Debbie Show. And I think that's a good idea. You know, you know the stupidity of the last few days, and this is really emblematic of the last three and a half years, is that there are so many substantive battles we could have, and we're going to talk about it today. The faulty legalities and the faulty science behind what they're doing. The counterintuitive science. The unconstitutional public policy. The terrible fiscal policy. The terrible release of criminal aliens and domestic criminals from prison while Americans are manhandled. But instead, Trump makes a comment about disinfecting and then that becomes the whole thing. So this is where we are. This is what's happened the last three and a half years. The media perceives Trump as pushing a conservative agenda. They attack him with ferocity, but then he doesn't even push the agenda, and we fight over something stupid. I saw on Twitter this trending hashtag of something like, stand with the president. And I was thinking, I would love to stand with the guy. Yes, let's fight. Let's go into a new week armed with all of the new amazing facts we have from so much data and so many good experts on how lockdown was never needed, and certainly if you believe it was, it's, it's counterintuitive at this point. On the illegalities of what they're doing. But instead, it's, it's wasted over empty calories. So many, uh, so many of my colleagues are focused on this nonsense. So first off, this is why I need you guys to join together. Several hundred of you have signed up for our, our Paul Revere project. Here's where I see this going. So right now, a group of our Facebook fans have a Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary Facebook page. Now, a lot of you have expressed concern about commenting on a public page just because of your day jobs or people you know, and I understand that. So still use that page as a good resource for some of our key sentinels are posting good material. But those of you who want to post on a private page, we're going to set up a private page, but you still need to go to Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary, click on the blue button to sign up, email our folks running it, and we're going to start our Minutemen Tavern. So a tavern where we could hang out in a private group, share the tyrannical stories, the anarchy stories that you're seeing, be the Paul Revere to announce what's going on, alert people, share good data, and I could run this stuff up the pole, and you could organize as well. I actually purposely didn't name it something like Reopen America so Facebook wouldn't flag it immediately. It will be Minuteman Tavern. It's not up yet, but you got to go to Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary 
to get that done. So that's what we need to do. We need to start the rebellion. So I first want to just hammer home, just for a couple minutes, the false legalities being used to justify this, and then go into the false science. And the two are going to tie in together. Because there is no sort of legal authority to do what they're doing, precisely because there is no common sense and scientific data or strategy that would ever call for what they're doing, which is why there is no authority. All these statutes of states that have emergency powers, there's no such emergency power to indefinitely shut down an entire state, shut down your movement, shut down your business. There's no such thing, and nor could there be, and if there would be, it would, it, it would be void because it, it's against state constitutions and certainly the Federal Bill of Rights and natural law that predated the Bill of Rights. Life, liberty, property, restriction of movement, you cannot do that. What, what these powers typically are, I know in my state of Maryland, the operating statutes for it, and, and you could look up your own states, it's mainly, for example, when there's a natural disaster, there's a flood, and you know they want power to move people around to restrict an area just to get evacuate people. Maybe sometimes they need to operate in a certain area and take over, so that's the Fifth Amendment taking clause, so they could you know kick you out, but then put you up in a hotel and compensate you for a just taking. That's what they could do. But the notion that you could arbitrarily just shut down what you want, but then other things you don't indefinitely without providing any evidence, without input from a legislature, without oversight of the courts to any degree, without any due process, no such authority exists. The Constitution the Bill of Rights, the various state declarations of rights and constitutions, they're not masked in an N95 mask or a glove. They're fixed forever, and they are of nobody's private interpretation. Over the weekend, many of us sat back appalled watching a San Diego woman who is now facing potentially 90 days in jail for simply organizing a protest organizing a protest. I want you to think about that for a minute. And I'm, I'm going to keep um, referencing my state's Declaration of Rights in this context, the Maryland Declaration of Rights, which is the uh, opening part of the Maryland Constitution. And the reason why I'm going to keep referring to it is simply because Maryland, of all states, and it's, it's truly said that some of the most patriotic states at the times of our founders, the original colonies, are now just socialist bastions, and Maryland's one of them. But did you know that Maryland was actually, um, was actually the first state to recognize natural law? I believe, according to most historians, it was in an act passed by the Assembly of Free Men, whatever it was called, um, in Maryland in 1638. And so in that vein, Maryland also has one of the best Declaration of Rights in 1776. It's a beautiful document. Other states have pretty good ones, Massachusetts, um, North Carolina. But I want you guys, I mean, go there and read it. It is, um, it's 47 articles. I believe 42 out of the 47 were original um, beautifully, beautifully written, a beautiful expression of natural law 
know your rights. And of course, our governor here, Lockdown Larry, has never read that before. And you know, one of the one of the points that that are made, one of the articles is just again very beautiful prose. It's Article Forty that the liberty of the press ought to be inviolably preserved, that every citizen of the state ought to be allowed to speak, write, and publish his sentiments on all subjects, being responsible for the abuse of that privilege. Right? You are responsible. I mean, that's what it is. Just a beautiful construction there. But anyway, now you can't protest. We've witnessed residents of San Mateo County, California. They're now being issued citations... If, they, if they're caught traveling more than five miles outside their home. We saw literally police in brown shirts, I'm not kidding you, arresting a man walking on, on, on a closed beach. Defying the basic science that when you walk on a beach and there was nobody around in the sunlight, it's better than being in, indoors for the virus. Everyone agrees to that. And obviously we saw the guy in Colorado being manhandled and thrown on the ground. For having a concealed carry license. First Amendment. Second Amendment. Fourth Amendment. Fifth Amendment. Fourteenth Amendment. But folks. You have to understand. What is going on. Is worse than anything King George ever did. A couple taxes here and there. They never restricted their movement like this. What happens is. We create a society. But our natural position is we are free human beings. We can go about where we want. Certain powers were given to government for the public good. But there are certain things that weren't. And those are your natural rights. As John Locke explains, to understand political power right and derive it from the original, we must consider what state all men are naturally in. And that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and persons as they think fit within the bounds of the law of nature without asking leave or depending upon the will of any other man. I always say that's why Blackstone referred to personal liberty very simply as the power of locomotion, of changing situation, or removing one's person to whatsoever place one's own inclination may direct without imprisonment or restraint unless by due course of law. And that's where we're at. Article 44 of the Maryland Declaration of Rights, that the provisions of the Constitution of the United States and of this state apply as well in time of war as in time of peace. And any departure therefrom or violation thereof under the plea of necessity or any other plea, is subversive of good government and tends to anarchy and despotism. It's speaking to our time, time of war, time of peace. Whether you have a plea of necessity, there's no such power to do what they're doing. Article 32 of the Maryland Constitution. No, No martial law. Okay? And we said states have the power to quarantine. Quarantine means isolating the sick from the general population. That's a dictionary definition. Here they're locking up the general population. That has never been done. And like we're going to discuss because it's it's counterintuitive to science. There is no such power. 
First of all, a quarantine can't be, quote, arbitrary, unreasonable, or might go so far beyond what was reasonably required for the safety of the public. That's Jacobson v. Massachusetts, 1905. Justice Robert Jackson in the famous Youngstown 1952 case said that our founders knew the pressure they engender for authoritative action under emergencies. They knew, too, how they afford a ready pretext for usurpation, which is why they omitted any emergency powers in the Constitution. As the New York court ruled in the People versus Peter W. Roth, this is an 1850s case in New York State Supreme Court, a quarantine law can't sentence all persons well or sick, whether exposed to infection or not, to an unlimited imprisonment. It's that simple. Let me quote you one more quote from Article 24 of the Maryland Declaration that no man ought to be taken or imprisoned or deceased of his freehold, liberties or privileges, or outlawed or exiled, or in any manner destroyed or deprived of his life, liberty, or property, but by judgment of his peers or by the law of the land. And again, not all states maybe have that language, but they're bound by Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution, which talks about those same privileges and immunities, and the 14th Amendment empowered the federal government to enforce them against the states. So that is very simple. There is no law in, in the world that could allow such things. And finally, let me just say, Article 1 begin, I want to read to you first Article 1 and then Article 6. And again, this is not just for Maryland. This is Maryland's expression of natural rights as understood by all the 13 colonies in 1776. That all government of right originates from the people is founded in compact only and instituted solely for the good of the whole and they have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their form of government in such manner as they deem expedient. Article 6, whenever the ends of government are preserved and public liberty manifestly uh, perverted, I'm sorry, perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish a new government. The doctrine of, uh, that's one thing. And then the next clause, the doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of, of the good and happiness of mankind. This is natural law. It's time we recognize our rights. Now, in that vein, it's time we recognize real science, not pseudo-fake science. See, now we have all these serology studies of antibodies coming out and proving one after another, beginning to group almost exactly, that the fatality, that really this has been spreading, number one, for months. As we knew, likely upwards of 50 million people in the country have it. Therefore, if the denominator is bigger, the case fatality rate in most places is 0.1 to 0.2%. couple places a little bit more, but it's likely going to go down the more we test. That in many cases, 50 to 60% and it are um, asymptomatic. In the case of a, a study done of several prisons, Reuters put this out today. of those who tested positive, it was Ohio, North Carolina, Virginia, a couple, I think Arkansas as well, um, 96% were asymptomatic because, you know, it's likely predominantly people in their 20s and 30s, younger population. That's the story. With a a case infection rate like that, it, it is 
it is indefensible to not have the schools opened. Because it's the perfect way, as Dr. Atlas said on Friday, you spread low risk with low risk, and then you achieve herd immunity with the least risk. Now, yes, there's certain things you do. You don't have them maybe go to their grandparents' house. You quarantine the sick and the elderly, and that's going to be a lot of people, but it's not everyone. It's going to be disruptive, but there's a difference between a recession and an economic and liberty and healthcare Hiroshima, where we're not just impoverishing the whole country and suspending liberty, but we're also getting people killed by shutting down healthcare. Here's the dirty little secret. And obviously, many of you have seen this an hour-long discussion by this guy, Dr. Um, Dan Erickson and his colleague, this guy in Kern County, California, Bakersfield, that runs the clinics responsible for more than 50% of the affirmative positive tests in Kern County. And he just, he just boldly laid it out. And he, and he, and he made the, the case that what we are doing is not rooted in science. It never was. Even if we, we, we you know, wanted to err on the side of caution in week one, at this point, it is long past indefensible. It's counterintuitive. You're going to get more people sick. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But the broader point here, and, and he, he started to make this point too, if you, if you notice what happened, let's retrace our steps to how this started. People seem to get political amnesia even from a few weeks ago. We knew this was going on in January and February. Like, really knew. I mean, it was everywhere. And Fauci and all these people, anyone, anyone who ever studied virology, epidemiology, microbiology, understood that you don't shut people down. You try to secure nursing homes, but that fundamentally, a respiratory virus, you don't do this for. Everyone understood that it's going to be extremely contagious. There's certain vulnerable populations. But among everyone else, it's going to be roughly the fatality rate of the flu. And everyone understood this. What happened was, in the first week of March, two things happened. There was this Imperial College study that is now debunked that said 2.2 million people would die. And they were watching Italy. Now, since then, we know there's a lot of other factors that went on there and cooking of the data, and they just had a dysfunctional healthcare system. But, oh my gosh, they're overrun. We can't allow our hospitals to be overrun. So they said, look, we have to bend the curve because you can't have hospitals being overrun. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But the idea was, the idea was that nobody ever, ever, ever said that you could lock down a society not just that the collateral damage wouldn't be worth the fatality rate, but that you could even prevent those small people percentage of people are dying and that somehow this is going to make it better. It's going to make it worse because you're going to have second and third waves because you're not going to get rid of it. You're not going to get rid of it. But the understanding was that, but you don't want, you want to drag it out a little longer and not have initially everyone spread it because you don't want, um, you don't, you don't want a surge in the hospitals. Okay. But what happened was there was no surge. And then they created this whole science man ventilators, 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 all from Italy. 30,000 ventilators we're going to need. We only need 5,000. Okay. So we went and had all these ventilators. And then it turned out like 88% of people died on them, right? It wasn't really a good panacea. There's a lot of evidence now that, that if you go and you preemptively put people on too prematurely, which they clearly were doing, they actually killed more people. 
So that's another way that when you're governed by panic instead of prudence, you actually kill more people. So that's that's what that. But now it's indefensible to keep this going because not only aren't the hospitals overrun, they're underrun because we're shutting them down, but they're not really getting COVID much. So the Mayo Clinic is now furloughing 30,000 of their 70,000 employees. And then this is true of every major, major hospital system. Every major hospital system. This is an utter disgrace. Right? Because now we know, see, the deal is, it's like, oh my gosh, what is this with Italy? This might be a 10% fatality rate. So then look, if it's a 10% fatality rate, then you know, you then then you're kind of scared to go with herd immunity because then it's gonna get everyone and you know, you gotta like, I don't know, just lock people down and try to come up with some sort of solution, come up with a vaccine, who knows what. There really is no solution to that, but that's very scary. But once you find out that it's more on par, and again, the 0.1.2% is overall, if you isolate people under 55, and then and then you certainly you go to school children in terms of the decision to open the schools, I mean, that's going to be a fraction of 0.1%. Um, that's going to be much less. It might even be, be less than the flu, although I'm not sure what the demographic breakdown of the flu is either. But um, Miami-Dade County, Overall, they have two rounds of serology now. Each one grouped together at the exact same ratio. It's 0.18. 0.18. Now, Miami-Dade is a good county because believe it or not, a lot of people think Florida is very old, but Miami-Dade is only slightly above the median average um, age of, of America. It's, it's pretty down the middle. So that would be a pretty good, if you would want to get a sense of just, if you throw in all the demographics, all the 3,000 counties in America, what's the fatality rate? Miami-Dade's a pretty good county, except actually it is 40% Hispanic. And what it, it does seem that Hispanics are, do seem to be a little bit, have more of a fatality. So if anything, Miami-Dade might even be a little bit more than other counties. But again, it tracks closely with the LA County, with, there was a county in Colorado, um, Trying to think what else. Obviously, Santa Clara, uh, many other places, Iceland, Germany, Denmark, very similar results. So, you know, they're trying to pick apart, oh, well, it didn't do this or that. But when you start grouping on random surveys and you get similar results, I mean, that's it. We now know 800 people were infected on the U.S. Roosevelt, okay? The... um. The you know what's that called the the aircraft carrier the USS Roosevelt and out of eight hundred maybe five were hospitalized six were hospitalized I'm forgetting but in total just one person died and I didn't get the impression that anyone else was um in danger of dying so that would be point one two or point one two five. Again, notice it's between 0.1 and 0.2. Very interesting. That is a younger population. Again, for older people, it's going to be it's going to be higher if you would isolate above 65 and certainly above 75, 80. But then now we have the scandal with Cuomo mandating in March that nursing homes take in coronavirus patients back straight from the hospital. So the same guy who locked down everyone then didn't secure the one place you need to secure. 
again, lockdown is when lockdown is never a strategy to get rid of a virus. You you can't. Lockdown is a strategy of quarantine for the people that it's too risky to let out immediately because there's too much of a chance of too many of them dying. But with everyone else, you got to do it. Now, are some people going to die? Look, I mean, you look at suicide, you look at accidents, you look at everything, you, you look at the flu. And, and two years ago, 60, was it, 60, 80,000 people died. It happens. Again, you have countries like Iceland, New Zealand, Taiwan, islands that don't have a lot of travel. You know, they didn't let it in that much. So they're going to have better results. Israel locked down travel much earlier. That did a lot more than the internal lockdown. It was the external lockdown. I advocated for that. I'm sorry. I mean, I advocated to, to, to lock it down. People don't listen. But once you let it in with 750,000 people from China, God knows how many from Europe, that, that thing has spread. And that's the point. That's the point. See, a lockdown could work like, oh my gosh, okay, there's five people here, five people there that, that appear to have it. Um, let's just lock people down and try to contact trace, try to make sure we could see where this is and eradicate it, and, and then we could let people out. That's, if you, that's the only way to really avoid any deaths or, or very minimal. But dude, this thing, we now know it's been spread, spreading for months. So you can't say like, well, well, Daniel, well, we have to, you know, you, you can't have a surge. A surge of what? It's already, a surge is when it's initial, like, you know, it's initially going to spread. You got to stop it. It did spread already. So again, that baseline of deaths, whatever it winds up being, 70, 80,000, 100,000, it tends to be, like I said, in 58 and, and 57 and 68, we lost about 100,000 apiece from these Asian respiratory viruses. Back then it was, if you extrapolate for today's population, it would be about 220,000. I don't think anyone thinks we're going to reach that. But that's what you got to do. But I'm here to tell you that all these people that are pushing lockdown, not only are they King George and violating the Constitution, not only are they destroying wealth and, and well-being and mental health and cancer patients, as Dr. Scott Atlas said, you cannot imagine the cancer patients, the heart patients, the 85% of transplant patients are being pushed off. You can't imagine the deaths that are going to result from that. But they hate granny too. They're going to have more elderly people die from coronavirus by having second and third waves and not getting rid of this and not burning it out with people who could burn it out. He made a very terrific point. It's an hour long, this Dr. Dan Erickson, but I want you to listen to the following clip. It's about two minutes long. Let's take a listen. The immune system is built by exposure to antigens, viruses, bacteria. When you're a little child crawling on the ground, putting stuff in your mouth, viruses and bacteria come in, you form an antigen antibody complex, you form IgG, IgM, this is how your immune system is built. You don't take a small child, put them in bubble wrap in a room and say, go have a healthy immune system. This is immunology, microbiology 101. This is not something, this is the basis of what we've known for years. Um, so what I'm seeing is when you take human beings and you say, go into your house, clean all your counters, Lysol them down. You're going to kill 99% of viruses and bacteria. Wear a mask. Don't go outside. What does that do to our immune system? Our immune system is used to touching. We share bacteria, staphylococcal, streptococcal bacteria, viruses. We develop an immune response daily to this stuff. 
When you take that away from me, my immune system drops. As I shelter in place, my immune system drops. You keep me there for months, it drops more. And now I'm at home hand washing vigorously, washing the counters, worried about things that are indeed what I need to survive. Let's follow the science. This is immunology, folks. This is microbiology. This is what we've combined together. We have 40 years of experience in this. This is common sense immunology. So quarantining and social distancing is worse for us, you're saying? It decreases your immune system. You, you can't build an immune system by... If, if someone has a, a reduced immune system, you, you hide them away because they can't build an immune system. If you have a normal functioning immune system, you need interaction. The, the, when a child's in a womb, you're in this protected environment. When you come out, you have almost no immune system. You develop that through touching your mouth, touching your eyes, virus, bacteria, virus, bacteria, immune response, IgG, IgM. This is how you build a strong immune system. Do you think people are worrying too much? Of course they are, but that's, that's from media telling them to. I am telling them sheltering in place decreases your immune system. And then as we all come out of shelter in place with a lower immune system and start trading viruses and bacteria, what do you think is going to happen? Disease is going to spike. And then you've got disease spike amongst a hospital system with furloughed doctors and nurses. This is not the combination we want to set up for a healthy society. Folks, wasn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that just, just the simplicity of it? We are actually destroying people's immune systems. They're going to be even weaker than possible. So they're not even going to be prepared for that coronavirus for everything else now. You're going to have more sick people. And then you saw his, his final point was amazing that now that you locked down and furloughed half the thing, so now you're going to have you know hospitals overrun by God knows how many viruses that people can't handle now. Kids who would otherwise be immune are going to have a weakened immune system. It makes no sense. The schools are the first thing to go back. Now, ultimately, I think he says, and I think we're all saying, certain other things have to be gradual just because of the mistake they made. When you lock people down for that long, so then you don't want to go from zero to 100 and like have people immediately exposed, you have to gradually build up their immune system. But that's not a rip on our philosophy. That's a rip on their philosophy. We're, we're rectifying a mistake they made. That's the mistake that these people made. But I want, I want to share with you, I want to go back to another point that was made about the shutdown of hospitals. So what's happening now is that they're shutting down vital things like hip replacements, all sorts of things. So many people are going to die, preventative health care, preventative screening. But even the things that aren't shut down, like emergency rooms, emergency rooms are empty, are empty. Now, that's not shut down by law, but the laws, along with the media's panic porn, is sowing too much of a degree of fear. And again, I just want to mention, my philosophy always was, don't let it into the country, have travel bans, shut off international travel, which is going to be dis disruptive, but nowhere near the nuclear Hiroshima that we have today. And then... Everyone has to be careful. Now, we weren't careful at all in January and February, and that's how it spread. But there's being careful and there's lockdown. And you might say, well, Daniel, well, why be careful at all if what Dr. Erickson was saying, just, you know, you want people to get it, younger people at least, and achieve herd immunity. Well, I mean, that's where the surge in the hospitals comes in. That's how you flatten a curve properly, but still eventually achieve herd immunity. 
you be careful, but you go out um, and you quarantine the people who need to be quarantined. Um, and again, that's what they successfully did in a country like Taiwan. But um, the UK uh, National Institute for Health Research funded this study. It's like like 30 different UK doctors involved. And they were talking about the delaying and canceling of cancer treatments and screenings and surgeries. And listen to this. Per year, 94,912, so roughly 95,000 resections, like surgeries for major cancers, result in 80,406 long-term survivors and 1.7 million life years gained. So if you would add up everyone, it's 1.7 million life years gained by cancer surgeries. I mean, we know that. If, you know, it doesn't always you know, save everyone permanently, but it certainly adds a lot of years, and they would die immediately if they didn't have the surgery. Per patient delay of six months would cause attributable death of 10,555 of these individuals with loss of 205,024 life years. Okay? That is truly, truly astounding. And then they go through all sorts of other measures. But that's just one sphere of medical care. Has anyone thought about that? Has anyone thought about that? Nope, we're too busy into the panic porn. And then the other thing is, we now can't even trust the numerator, the number of deaths. Look, clearly people are dying from it, but they're up to what, 52, 53,000? But we know a certain number of that. I'm not going to say it's a majority. I don't think it is. But at least five, ten thousand is bogus. We saw in Pennsylvania they had to revise backwards. I want so they always said, "Oh, it's a conspiracy theory to say that." Oh, they're uh, petting it. I want you to listen to the Illinois Department of Public Health Director, Doctor Ngozi Eziki, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, last week in a press conference, you know, one of the daily Illinois press conferences with Governor Pritzker. Take a listen. I have a question from a colleague. Uh, Michelle Gallardo from ABC7 wants to know, earlier this week, the state reported the death of a teenager in Cook County. Are you familiar with this case? If so, is this the state's first teenage death? And can you tell us if the teenager in question had underlying conditions? I don't have that information at my uh, disposal at this time. I know um, we have had people uh, of all age groups die. I just want to be clear in terms of the definition of people dying of COVID. So the case definition is is very simplistic. It means at the time of death, um, it, it was a COVID positive diagnosis. So that means that if you were in hospice and had already been given you know, a few weeks to live, and then you also were found to have COVID, that would be counted as a COVID death. It means that if, um, it technically, if even if you died of a clear alternate cause, but you had COVID at the same time, it's still listed as a COVID death. So um, everyone who's listed as a COVID death doesn't mean that that was the cause of the death, but they had COVID at the time of death. I hope that's helpful. Folks, isn't that astounding? She said directly. It wasn't just, oh, we're counting those that, you know, had comorbidities, but they, we know they died from, you know, maybe they had five more years to live, but then they got coronavirus and they, their lungs filled up and they clearly died from the coronavirus. No. She made it very clear. Any hospice, anything, you have it, 
That's it. You have it. It's counted. Now, some of them, they're being killed by that. But clearly, there's a certain amount that's not. Because precisely what we're saying is that it's not like the Black Plague. Oh, you got COVID. Oh, my God. You're going to die. That's it. It's No. 50 million probably have it. 70 million. And who knows? But that's what we're seeing from the antibody tests. And certainly, it's very contagious. You go to a hospital, you're going to get it. Okay? You're easily going to get it. So let's say you go to the hospital, you have a heart attack. You didn't go for COVID. You have a heart attack. And they tested you, and then you die. You clearly died from the heart attack. Oh, that's a COVID death. Again, this is not accounting for all of it, but she admitted that mixed in the numbers is even that. And any hospice death? Are you kidding me? Come on. Again, I could understand. Like, I understand the criticism. Some people are saying, like, Daniel, you can't tell me if someone just has asthma or diabetes. You know, they, they many Americans live functioning lives and they live long lives and now they suddenly die you can't tell me that's a comorbidity of course they died from coronavirus I, I agree with that i'm not saying that but she took it a step further they're taking it a step further right even when it's clear or there certainly is no clarity no likely indication that they died from this they counted as such i told you my friend from richmond who is a father in queens new york he had muscular dystrophy which, you know, usually they don't live till their 80s, but he was already in his mid-60s. He was totally disabled in a wheelchair. His mind was very sharp, um, but he had, a, he had a severe heart condition. I don't know if it was, I don't know much about muscular dystrophy. I don't know if it was driven by it or it was a separate condition. And he had all the COVID symptoms. So there it was almost clear it was that. He went to the hospital, he died. And then the post-morbid, uh, you know, post-death, two days later, the test came back negative. I'll bet you anything he was counted as a COVID death. Because that's a no-brainer. That, like I would have said, looked like a COVID death. He was very sick, but he wasn't like imminently dead. He wasn't imminently on his deathbed. Well, what was it? He sure looked like he had the symptoms. It could have been the flu or pneumonia. Believe it or not, people still die from that. That's the thing. And again, when you look at the macro statistics now, show something like 615,000 deaths, if you look at all the fatalities for the first few months of the year, we're actually 20, 30,000 behind that of last year. How could that be with the plague? Okay, car accidents are down. That would only account for four or 5,000 for two months. Where's the rest? Heart attacks suddenly disappear. Strokes disappear. The baseline non-COVID respiratory deaths disappear. So we don't know what number. So I'm saying, you know, again, like, you know, obviously the the antibody tests in New York City seem to indicate a 0.8% death rate, and that would be the worst anywhere. A, that is still well below a 5-10% rate, and B, I bet when we test more, we're going to see more than 22% have it, so the denominator is going to grow. But C, we know that, again, I mean, I'm sure you know many people died, but it wouldn't surprise me if 15-20% of those deaths are are inflated. So you put those two factors together, it wouldn't surprise me if even in New York City, we wind up driving the case fatality rate, meaning the number of people who die from COVID relative to, you know, as a percentage of how many had COVID could still wind up being under 0.5 in the worst place in the entire country. So again, that's a very different story. Right now, the onus is on government to prove that they are right to take away liberties. And you have to have due process too but certainly at least evidence, not the other way around. Suspend liberties and ask questions later. No. 
Doesn't work that way. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. I want to read to you this guy, David Lang, posted on Facebook, Wisconsin ER doctor, April 18th. I'm an ER physician in a small rural Wisconsin town, and I've been reading everyone's take on the COVID-19 pandemic for the last two months, and having worked directly with it every day, thought I would share the way I see it. Shutting down our borders when we did was a great move, although I would argue whatever. I mean, we didn't do it early enough. It probably should have been done sooner, actually. Shutting down everything else when we did was also a bold and wise move. Initially, the information on the virus was suspect at best, and we needed to prevent our hospitals from getting overwhelmed. Okay. Unfortunately, that did happen in several larger cities, such as New York City, New Orleans, Detroit, and Washington State. The reality of the situation in most other areas of the country, however, is far different. Most rural hospitals like the one I work in have seen few, if any, cases. Unfortunately, most hospitals have also severely limited the access to our healthcare system to people with anything but potentially COVID-related symptoms. Initially, this was a wise and prudent move. We had no way of uh, predicting how bad things were going to get. But every week... We are getting more reliable information that this virus has already spread much more than we initially thought, but the death rate is much less than we thought. And he goes through all this stuff, and that's the story. The vast majority of COVID deaths are elderly patients and those with other medical conditions, particularly diabetes and obesity, or those with any type of immune compromise. The chance of dying from COVID if you are under 60 and otherwise healthy is extremely extremely small. Yes, there are cases of young, healthy people dying, but these, while tragic, are outliers. Most younger, healthy people will get mild illness or have no symptoms at all. Knowing this, it makes great sense to protect those who are most vulnerable. We all do this every year during flu season. If we have elderly parents or grandparents or friends with other illnesses, we often have them stay home if possible. I have a friend with um, a daughter, a young daughter, she's like you know, six years old or whatever, has cystic fibrosis. I mean, th- this is a way of life. Another issue is what we are calling a COVID death. As physicians, we fill out a death certificate on any patient who dies while under our care. We are asked to put down a main cause of death and any other possible contributing causes. So, for example, if a patient dies in my ER from a heart attack, that would be listed as the main cause, but we'd also need to list diabetes, hypertension, or any other condition that may have contributed to the death. Many elderly patients have many serious medical conditions. If they had COVID, on top of that, what is the cause of death? Is COVID the main cause? If a patient with COVID gets hit by a bus, is that a COVID death? That may sound absurd, but I have heard of physicians being pressured to add COVID to the death certificate in cases like this. And and folks, it's not just the money, the Medicare reimbursement. It's political. COVID has become such a religion because that is the key to letting out the prisons, infringing upon liberties of everyone else. Welfare, dependency, turning America into Venezuela. So they're not going to let go of this. But we got to take it back from them. It's truly a riveting, riveting piece. He talks about all the points I made. And then he just ends off with the seven points. What he recommends, number one, make sure we have enough protective gear for our healthcare workers. Number two, work diligently to find treatments and a vaccine for COVID. Three, continue to quarantine elderly and vulnerable people, but make sure they have support they needed. Four, get our clinics and hospitals running more normally when and where it is possible. We can't jeopardize every other patient to focus on COVID. Five, use masks and gloves as you see fit or if you're vulnerable, but use them wisely and properly. Six, start getting society back to normal quickly. 
There is no reason a small store can't open, but hundreds of people are jammed into a Walmart or Home Depot. Open restaurants with tables spread out. Open hair salons. These things can start our economy. Let us develop herd immunity. And seven, for the love of God, stop hoarding the toilet paper. Anyway, so that is, again, there's a lot more there. This guy, Dr. Lang, David Lang, you could find it on um, uh, Facebook. He's a young doctor, ER doctor, and uh, that that's, that's the reality. That's the reality. This has got to stop. It's unjust, it's illogical, immoral, and illegal. It's got to stop yesterday, as soon as possible. We see NPR reports Stockholm is expected to reach herd immunity in May. Because Sweden didn't do this garbage. We're not going to have that. Now, it is spread much farther than we think, but we're, you know, it's going to take longer. It's a no-brainer. It's an utter no-brainer. Folks, I want you guys, again, to go to Herwitz Citizen Sanctuary, sign up. We're going to create our Minutemen Tavern to gather information. I want you guys to spam. Help me spam these snitch hotlines and snitch on, on the true lawbreakers the governors and county garbage collectors that are going and breaking natural law, state constitutions, federal constitutions, and just stupid, stupid, illiterate view of microbiology. Unbelievable. We're going to have a lot more. We're going to have some special guests on this week. Let me know who you think I should have on the show. Let me know your thoughts, comments, concerns, questions. dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Follow me at Twitter at armconservative. Also, make sure to get your $69 a year subscription, 30 bucks off, entire year's worth of Blaze TV content. This is the only alternative to Fox News, um, which is just ridiculous. Promo code Daniel. Go to blazetv.com forward slash CR, promo code Daniel. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, stay knowledgeable, and keep the fight. Keep the faith.